0: Good morning, church family. Our first passage today is from First Chronicles 16, verses 25 through 27. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of all the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Our second passage will become from Jeremiah, chapters 31, verse 13. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And our last passage will come from Luke 2, verses 36 through 38.
1: Good morning, family. It's really good to see you. I'm glad you're here to worship Jesus with us. And if you're a guest of ours today, uh, please rest. And you're not supposed to tell people to relax, so I won't say just relax, but just take a deep breath. You don't have anything to prove to the people who are seated around you. None of us deserve to be in God's family. We were all strangers to God's promises, and he pursued us, showed us kindness, and gave us a seat at the table. So, Uh, You belong here just as much as the rest of us. So just take a deep breath and rest. Let me pray, and we will get right down to work. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, may your kingdom come, and your will be done here in Okinawa, and here in this room, and here in my own heart. And in the hearts of all those seated in here, I pray that you would align the desires of our hearts with the beauty of your kingdom and your will as our king. We pray that you would give us today the bread that our souls need to be satisfied and full of joy. We pray that you would lead us away from temptation because you know how quick our feet are to run towards temptation. We pray that you would deliver us from evil. Father, we pray that you would lead us to forgive as generously as we've been forgiven in Jesus. And Father, just as importantly, I pray that you would remind us this morning, though this last week we have fought and lived like ours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, I pray that you would remind us that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're halfway through our Advent series, which you know by now our theme is waiting for the light to dispel the darkness of night. In the first two weeks, we've considered themes like this. We we talked about waiting with hope. And in the second week, we talked about waiting with peace. And this week, our theme is waiting with joy. Now, Advent reminds us that we are awaiting people. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And so, all of God's people who were existing in the brokenness of this world were awaiting rescue. And that's what they received when Jesus came as their rescuing king. So, Jesus' first Advent was as if the sun was rising in the sky and dispelling the darkness of our night in rebellion. But then Jesus would set about the work of redeeming and restoring broken people in this broken world as he established his kingdom. So the sun rose, but the sun is rising, and it will only be fully risen in the sky at his second advent, and that's what we look forward to. We're still awaiting people. In the meantime, we live in the messy middle, the broken in between, and so we're learning to wait with hope and wait with peace, and this morning to wait with joy. And before we wade in too much, let's just talk about joy for a moment because sometimes we get this word joy and we're like, wow, joy is for really mature Christians. Like the rest of us peasants experienced happiness and it's almost as if we have to apologize for just being happy. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you joyful. That's the more spiritually mature um, form of happiness. And guys, that's just, we got to put that conversation to rest. It's not healthy, and it's honestly, it's not biblical. And let me just say it this way. Through all of Scripture, the words happiness and joy and gladness are used interchangeably. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're all related to each other. They don't exist in competition to each other. They're not cousins who fight. They're family members who express the same feeling. Now, if there's a difference, maybe it's best illustrated by water. So, for example, if happiness, let's say we have happiness, gladness, and joy. They all come from the same body of water. They're not different different streams or different sources of water. It's the same emotion, but maybe experienced at different varying levels or depth. So I was just up at Okuma for a couple days with some friends, and I got to stare at the ocean all day long, every day. And let's call happiness the water that's lapping up on the shore. That's happiness. It's still the same clean, cold, refreshing water, but it's not super deep. So it's really subject to the environments around it, right? Happiness might be here, and it's beautiful, but then it might be gone because it might get swept out with the tide. Or maybe a typhoon comes along and just rips the water hundreds of meters from the shore, right? Circumstantially, our happiness can just come and go and ebb and flow. And now we have the pumice, right? Where happiness is just straight up covered over or buried, right? Um, but then there's gladness. Gladness is a little bit further out. So I've waded out and I'm swimming now. So there's, it's still the same beautiful feeling and range of emotion, but now there's a little more depth to it and it's not as as subjected to my circumstances. So joy then is, we heard it in the reading, like a depth of happiness bubbling up or springing up out of my soul, not in competition with happiness, it's just now there's like a ton of it in my soul. So it's like where I would go dive or snorkel and I can go down deep and down there at the depths where I find the same happiness, but now it's like way, 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 way below the surface. It's not subjected to the tide, and it's not really subjected to the typhoon. And down there, it's not even really subjected to the pumice, right? It's, it's anchored deeper, so it's a little more constant. So they're not in competition, and if there's a difference, it's maybe depth. So we got to stop saying like more mature Christians have joy, and if you're only happy, you should question your faith. It's all the same family, the same body of refreshing water, So our talk this morning will have four movements as it relates to joy. We're going to talk about home, homelessness, homecoming, and I should have just used home cooking. I feel a lot better about that one, but we'll just go with homemade. It would have fit. It would have sounded better, okay? Home, homeless, homecoming, and homemade. And Here's our big idea for the morning. Joy is found in my father's house. Joy is found in my Father's house. And just to show you that I'm not making that up so we can have a sermon, here it is right here in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 16, verses 25 to 27. Ben read it for us. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Now check this out. Splendor and majesty are before him, like staring him face to face. Strength and joy are what? In his place. Now that word place simply means house. Wherever my father's dwelling place is, his place, his home, that's where joy is found. Now let that sink in for a minute. Joy is related to happiness, so we're talking about the same thing. Happiness, gladness, joy. If happiness, gladness, and joy exist... First, where my father's house is, where he is, that means every taste of joy, every ounce of happiness, every moment of gladness you've had in this life originated with the father and spilled out of his house and spilled into the brokenness of your world and you got to taste it. And that's beautiful because it's, a, it's just a shadow of what you'll taste in the future. Because guys, in this broken world, our happiness is always tainted by sorrow. Our gladness is, almost, is always like, it's not ever at 100%. Even in our greatest moments of joy, we still live in brokenness, guys. So it's always mixed and tainted. But we're tasting the beauty of what we will someday experience in full because it's spilling out of our father's house. Now, when I read this, I'm like, man, he's got to have a really big house. That's a lot of joy, which reminded me of a song that was really popular when I was a young kid. And I just want to share it with you. So, early Merry Christmas, here's my gift to you The big house. Uh, food, baseball. football, what'd you say, <laughs> baseball, yeah, that's true, so a beautiful song, not a ton of theological depth, but that's okay, not every song needs to be a home run, like it taught me one thing as a kid, my dad has a big house, and what does 1 Chron- Chronicles tell us, my dad's got a big house. Because there is no house big enough to house all of his joy, and there's so much joy that even though dad's got a big house, it busts out the windows and the doors and chases you down in the brokenness of this world. But it all comes from him. And yeah, coincidentally, football is synonymous with joy. You notice that in the song? And did you yell baseball? We got a baseball. I'll give you, all right. So just publicly acknowledge, Jason is a Braves fan, and they did. they did happen to win the World Series. But most years for you, dog, it's been sorrow, not joy. So let's just (laughs) let the record show, the record show. Um, So two reasons, this is good news for us, guys. The first reason is this, joy has a street address. Guys, we spend so much of our lives on this quest for happiness, joy, gladness, and it's weird because, so at Okumo, during the men's retreat, we played a photo scavenger hunt. Talk about flashback to junior high. It was crazy to see that many men acting like junior high boys. Like, like, you all know we act like junior high boys, but in community, it was junior high all over again. And in fact, one of the guys before the service this morning said that was his favorite part of the whole retreat. Like just seeing all these grown men who have serious jobs acting like 13-year-old boys because there is a 13-year-old boy inside of every one of our souls. We just dress him up on the outside and make it look like he's mature now, but he's still there. And he came out this weekend in force. But guys, we act like that when it comes to happiness. Why? Guys, your soul has a street address for joy. It's not a scavenger hunt. Gladness is not a mystery. Happiness is not a mystery. That's why we saw Anna, right? Our, our sub-theme that you're not telling my mom about, Advent with Old People. Luke 1.27, what does it say? It says she did not depart from the temple. She didn't leave her dad's house. She was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and we talked about what that is, is just simply nearness and neediness. You want joy, you draw near to the Father. You you express your neediness. There it is. We need people like Anna and Simeon because we all have, maybe it's not ADHD, but like gospel GDHD, like gospel deficiency, hyper We're all that, dis- like that's all of us. Like we know the gospel, but we can't, we're just constantly distracted by like, ooh, joy, ooh, happiness. And we run away from Jesus joys in my father's house. You know the the second reason that's good news for us this morning is it means that joy is external to you. Happiness is external to you. Gladness is external to you. That's really good news because how many seasons have you been in where your joy is gone. Your happiness is depleted. Your gladness is over with. In fact, you've been so deeply wounded by another person that your joy has been th- seemingly stolen. We would use that verb. The good news of this is even though somebody may steal it for a season, they can't steal it forever because joy is not dependent upon you and doesn't exist within you. You can't renew it. It, The Father has it, and it spills out of his house. So take hope. If your joy is gone, the Father's got plenty more and he will turn your mourning into dancing and your sorrow into gladness. Take heart. That's good news for us. And it also frees us because when we forget that and we think joy is internal, you know how much pressure we place on people and things to make me happy? So your spouse bears the full burden, and if they can't satisfy, that must be the problem. I will be joyful with a different spouse, a different career, a different boyfriend, different girlfriend, relational status, church, fill in the blank. We load all the pressure for our happiness on other people. That's a weight they can't bear because they're not created to bear it because all joy originates with a father and spills out of his house. You want to be glad, you want to be happy, you want to be joyful. You draw near, you express need. Okay, home. Unfortunately, though, the story of the Bible tells a homeless story. Going all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They ceased finding happiness in the Father's house, if you will, in his place. And so they were driven out. They were separated from the Father. So they became joyless. And all of Scripture tells that story. We could look at God's people in the wilderness. Remember when he rescued them from Egypt and he was taking them to the promised land? They could have been there in weeks, months, maybe. How many years? Forty is that not our lives? Wandering, searching, right? Maybe a better metaphor would be, for example, would be the prodigal son. At home with the father, full gladness right there, he chooses to leave, right? He chooses to leave and go find his own joy. And what happens? What happens to him? He steps out from the father's will, he leaves his father's front door, and that's the last day he, he knows full gladness until he comes back down, back home. Every step he takes away from the father's house is a depletion of his joy to the point that all he could do was pimp his soul out in hopes that he would get joy. He would give himself here. He would sell a piece of himself there. He would sacrifice a piece there. He would violate himself there. Just give me hope. Give me joy. And it would be further depleted. And if Pimping makes you uncomfortable, maybe panhandling. We can use, he was just, That's all he's got, though, pimping or panhandling for joy, and it's not going to be found away from the father's house until what? The Bible says he came to his senses, and he walked back home. He confessed. He says, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And his father pulls him in, and what does he do? What do you do in a joyful house? You throw a party. And he got a party for his homecoming. Homeless. Guys, if you're not drawing near and expressing need, you are living a homeless existence as it relates to joy. And you, you just, as your friend, I just want to tell you as gently as I can and as lovingly as I can, your heart, you may, you may taste, look, you may get a taste of happiness every now and then. I'll give you that. You'll get it. But in the wilderness, when you're far from the father, when you're the prodigal son, any taste that you get... it's only gonna taste great the first time. The next time, it won't taste quite as good. The third time, it won't fill you up quite as much. By the fourth or fifth time, you're like, that was good, but I gotta go get something else now. We have all been there. We've all been there. We have all been there. Joy depletes. And that taste that was so perfect turns into poison, and it destroys our souls. It's this homeless reality, but the Father gives us this beautiful promise in Jeremiah 31. Let's talk about our homecoming. Beginning in verse 10, it says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Now let's just pause there for a second. The coastlands far away. Is that not good news? Because in our rebellion, just like the prodigal son, just like God's people, we went far away from the father's house. If I can get as far away as possible, I know what he said, but if I have the distance to express what I feel I need more, I'll find it. This is the good news that the father even goes to the farthest away places to find those of us who went as far as we could from our father's house. He even chases us down there hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare it in the coastlands to 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 my rebel kids who are so far from home and say this, he who scattered Israel will gather them. There's our homecoming. So we were scattered in judgment for our rebellion, but in his kindness, the father pursues us to gather us and bring us home and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Another beautiful piece. Whenever sheep get lost, they don't ever together or individually make their way home they walk off a cliff, they get eaten by a big bad wolf, they fall down and break their legs and bleed out like sheep are just incapable animals. They run in fear, they run to find different food in a different pasture, and they cannot make their way back home. Guys, this is the beautiful good news of the gospel. He knows we can't, and he sends Jesus as our shepherd to bring us back. Look at verse 11, the Lord has ransomed Jacob. He has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Whenever you try to find gladness out apart from the Father, you become enslaved by the very thing you think is your servant that's going to give you joy. And then it enslaves you, and then you find out its hands are too strong for you, and you can't make it back home. But this says, he has redeemed him from hands too strong for him, not too strong for my Father. He shatters those chains, and he sets me free, and he brings me home. And they shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Now, guys, look at this. Their life will be like a watered garden, and they will languish no more. Some of us just have to stop right there because you're like, I am not in a watered garden. I don't even think I'm living in a garden right now. I'm in a desert. I am in a wasteland. I'm languishing. Those are the words Jeremiah uses. Family, the gospel looks you in the eye and pushes back upon what the culture would tell you, what your own heart would tell you, and what some of your friends are telling you. You don't find your way into a watered garden, and you don't find your way out of languishing by changing your circumstances, by getting better people around you. By improving in a relationship here or there, you get in. Your desert becomes a watered garden when you draw near to the Father and express your need. And he makes it rain and he turns your drought into a beautiful, green, restored watered garden and takes you out of the languishing and gives you life. So there's this homecoming, and we see in Luke 2 where Anna, our advent with old people, Anna's there, and she hears Simeon, and he says these things about Jesus, and she realizes in that moment that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that Jeremiah gave. Basically, Jeremiah's promising a homecoming king, and she looks at Jesus, and she's like, there's the homecoming king, there he is the one who's gonna rescue us. And that's really good news, guys, because your religion would say you need to be the homecoming king or the homecoming queen. And the gospel says, no, (laughs) you would make a terrible homecoming king. You don't even belong in the court. Jesus is the true and better king. He left heaven to come for your rescue. And he actually dies for those who are adopted into his family or into his court, the homecoming king. He brings us home. He brings us home. All right, so we have home. Joy is found in the Father's place. We have homeless, what happens in our rebellion. We have homecoming, Jesus sent for our rescue. Let's talk about homemade briefly. Verse 13, we are remade at home with the Father. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry, happy, glad, joyful. I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Guys, what are you mourning this morning? Where are you mournful? Where do you need comfort? What are you sorrowful over? I think this is the moment where Anna just goes crazy celebrating. Look at Luke 2, verse 38. She says, or the text says, Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She saw Jesus. She saw him as the homecoming king, the fulfillment of this promise where the father would restore the joy of his people. And she runs out and she shares the good news. And guys, that's why we need an Anna. That's why we need a Simeon, because in our Uh, We lose sight of this, especially in the more difficult seasons. And we need somebody like Anna who herself has walked through joyless nights and and seasons of life where the happiness has been gone. And she runs to us with this promise, this fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. There are two more things I want to say about it before I wrap up. And the first, I, I just want to anchor it in 2 Corinthians. And here's this verse. I love this. 2 Corinthians 124. I just want to draw your attention to one phrase. Not that we lord it over your faith, but here we go. Paul's talking about the life of the church. We, what? We work with you for your joy. How beautiful is that? I, I dream of and aspire to be a part of a family that embodies that one ethic right there. We work with each other for our happiness, our gladness, our joy. That is beautiful, and standing against the backdrop of so many broken church cultures. How incredibly winsome and life-giving and beautiful would that be? I got a taste of it this weekend where 30-plus men from our church family were gathered at Okuma and were committed to that ethic. In fact, I saw it lived out around the fire where there would be moments of silence because it was all men around the fire, and we were totally cool with sustained, long, soulful moments of silence. It was beautiful, It was beautiful. But every once in a while, somebody would break the silence and they would confess a sin. Or they would pour out a burden. I'm telling you guys, just pour it out. And you know what they were met with? A warm embrace an affirming word. Not guilt, not shame, not condemnation. Mercy and the gospel and the kindness of our Father and help and encouragement And the freedom to cry or the freedom to be honest. I saw that embodied and it filled me with so much gladness. It's possible. It'll always be imperfectly expressed, guys, but it's doable. We can be that family. Our resolve can simply be we will work for each other's joy. And how freeing is that? You don't have to fake the joy. Don't fake it in here. It's the acknowledgement that we all work. It's work. Jesus worked for it, and we work by drawing near and expressing need. And in seasons where your joy has been exhausted, I don't condemn you for it, and I don't shame you for being away from the Father. I pursue you, and I sit with you, and I empathize, and I listen, and I encourage, and I cry with you. I'm working with you for your gladness. That's what we do, guys. That's who we are. That is who the Father calls us to be, and it's beautiful. All right, I got to wrap. There's one more thing I wanted to say. Um, every Christmas, uh, my family's routine. Your routine's great. Here's just my family's routine. Stop, we would go to bed, sleep. Christmas Eve, sometime after we fell asleep, my mom would place the stockings at the foot of our, foot of our bed. We, it was free game on the stockings. We could wake up and we could go to town. So we'd unwrap all the things. We would eat anything we thought was edible. So back then you had the, you had the wax candy teeth. Nobody tracking that? All right, the wax candy? Nasty but edible. So we'd eat that. You know what was the best edible thing? Well, you get the candy cane. You get some other candy and stuff like that. The original, like, cherry-flavored chapstick. I don't even know who made it, but you like, you got strawberry. One kid got cherry, grape. or like, passing it around. You're like, is this for your lips or your tongue? This is amazing. So we'd eat that, and then we'd go out to do the presents, right? And so we didn't have a lot of money, not a ton of presents, but they sat out there all December, and my dad, my dad, very orderly. So we'd come out. And he would be led by the spirit. I'm not sure which spirit that morning, but a spirit. Like, he would pick the kid. He would hand that child the present. The rest of us waited. We unwrapped in orderly ways. Um, we celebrated the gift. And then collectively as a family, we pick up every shred of paper. We put it in a bag. And we get back in position. We wait. And that was like five hours later, we've unwrapped all seven presents. <laughs> Here's the last thing I want to say about joy, guys. We think, we think, okay, dad's got good gifts for us but we've got to give him something in return. So I'm gonna to go to church, and I'm expecting a good gift from my dad, but I'm gonna wrap this thing up, and I'm gonna mean it this time, and I'm, going to, I'm really gonna go and participate and write notes and sing loud, and I'm gonna give him this gift because I love him, or this week, I'm gonna change this, and I'm gonna do better there, and I, watch this. I'm gonna wrap this gift up so beautifully and give it to him, and I'll make my dad's heart so glad. That's religion, guys. That's not the gospel. You know what we just heard about joy and the beauty of the gospel is? You wrap up your sorrow, and you wrap up your shame, and you wrap up your guilt, and you wrap up your brokenness. You want your father's heart to be glad? You give him the most broken, shameful, hideous, hidden piece of your soul. You bring him, and you tell him, my soul is starving for happiness. You give him the broken, most poorly wrapped gift you have and he smiles and he's like that's my boy that's my girl now watch this and he gives you the biggest present you would ever receive and it is just joy pouring out of the doors of his house and filling your heart he will turn your mourning into dancing and your sorrow into gladness and guys we all need comfort and that's the promise in Jeremiah 31 dog I will comfort your soul Guys, that's the beauty of the gospel. And some of us are hurting this morning. So let's not be religious about it. Let's not be fake. I know I get a little bit, I'm sorry, I just got a little loud and stuff. Let's bring it back down a notch so we can be present with each other and be real, okay? There's sorrow in the room. There's, there's hurting. And look, all of that is linked to unfaithfulness. Either I have been unfaithful and wandered from the Father, so now instead of joy, I know sorrow, or it's not all your fault, there are people in our lives who have been unfaithful to God, and their unfaithfulness has deeply wounded me. Okay, so it's both. We're the unfaithful ones, surrounded by unfaithful, hurtful ones, but we have a Father who is faithful and so rather this morning than singing, and Grant's coming now to lead us in response, rather than leading us to sing, O come all ye faithful, good Christians, let's, let's throw a curveball and change it up. Let's sing, O come all ye unfaithful. And as a family, let's give the Father the most broken pieces that we have, and let's c- cry out for joy in our sorrow. And together with open hands, let's receive the joy that is busting out the seams of our Father's front door.